Today I'm going to be preaching around the topic of anxiety. It's not often that we preach topically at Center Church. We prefer to preach um, biblically. So we like to preach through a book and allow God just to speak to us about whatever the text is saying. But sometimes there is a time and a space to zoom in on a specific topic. And that's what I'd like to do today. So what if you mind turning with me to Psalm chapter 55, and we're going to be reading from verse 16. The psalmist writes, As for me, I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. He rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me. Even though many oppose me, God who is enthroned from of old, who does not change, he will hear them and humble them, because they have no fear of God. My companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. His talk is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Cast your cares or your burdens on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. But you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. The bloodthirsty and deceitful will not live out half their days. But as for me, I trust in you. And so... I want to talk around this issue of anxiety today, if I can, because it's not a new topic. It, it's mentioned many times throughout Scripture, guys, we're anxious. But it does feel like in today's day and age, anxiety and stress and fear and all the things that come with it tend to be sort of part of our vernacular, part of our language, that become part of something that we learn to live with. And it's almost like peace and contentment and goodness and mercy, all those things, instead of being our sort of primary points of departure. Those are the little islands that we visit. We visit peace or we visit um, contentment every now and then, but our space we live in is anxiety. And I really do feel like it's meant to be the other way around in God. And God definitely speaks about that in his word. And so that's what I'd like to speak about a little bit today, friends. Um, this isn't some sort of life hack message. I think it's a very simple message actually at its core. Um, but it's a reminder that God understands and he knows God isn't surprised by the busy 21st century that we live in and all the stuff that's going on. He sees everything that's happening, but his word is still true. And what he's commanded us is still um, the only way to live. And if we do, then goodness and mercy pursue us and peace and all that sort of stuff. And so I've got, I just wanted to start off. Um, I've studied psychology and, I've stu and I'm a Bible scholar, so I'm kind of in both worlds. I'd like to maybe just talk quickly from a psychology angle of just unpicking this thing of anxiety a little bit. And then I'm going to look at it biblically and just see how we can have a look at that really in depth and see how does the Bible answer um, these um, psychological things that we struggle with, which sometimes lead to physiological outworkings, right? Stress and anxiety and not sleeping and all the stuff that goes with it. But the Bible speaks into all of that. And that's what I'd like to look at today. And so I've got a few opening comments, opening thoughts um, around this issue of anxiety. The first thing is that anxiety and fear uh, live in, in a some symbiotic relationship, if you like. Um, it's Sometimes it's our um, fears that give birth to anxiety. I'm afraid that this is going to happen. I'm afraid that's going to happen. I'm afraid this isn't going to happen. And those fears give birth to an anxiety. But sometimes our anxieties are the things that feed our fears because the anxiety rises up inside of us and then we start making, our, making movies in our head about what could happen, about what couldn't happen, about what we deserve, what we don't deserve, all that kind of stuff. And then just gives birth to fear and it can paralyze us. And so this is important to understand because as we're reading through scripture, when the Bible talks about fear, right, it's, it's important to understand that isn't just a standalone. 
whatever the Bible says about dealing with fear will have a direct result when it comes to anxiety. And we'll see that a little bit later because the Bible speaks a bit about anxiety quite a lot, but it also talks about fear and how we deal with fear. So that's the first one, that anxiety and fear exist in the symbiotic relationship. And so dealing with our fears helps us to deal with our anxieties as well. The second thing is this, that anxiety is directly linked to a lack of control, right? When um, I don't know what the outcome is going to be of something and I can't control that outcome and it's just chaos around me, that, that's, that can be so hard to deal with. And so it can make me anxious. Um, and I really love this. There's a beautiful text in Ephesians chapter 4 that's so often quoted for other reasons. But I love what it says here. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.11, he says, So Christ gave himself, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for acts of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure the fullness of Christ. So growing, maturing, all that sort of stuff. What does it lead to? Verse 14 says, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forward by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemings. And so I think for people to say that um, this this desire for control, this desire not to have my life all over the place, is, is a bad thing. I've heard some people say that, you know, you're a control freak. Yes, there is a control freak side to the world, but I don't think we were designed to live without an anchor at all. And that desire for an anchor, that desire to be grounded in something and to have some sense of something is true is, is 100% God-given. And so it's just where we go for that control. It's where we go for that anchor. And that's what I'm going to be talking about a little bit today. So first of all, anxiety and fear and this kind of symbiotic relationship. Secondly, it's directly linked to a lack of control or no anchor in my life. Um, and then the third comment I'd like to make is anxiety is a result of um, us being creatures who live on a timeline. In fact, all of this, most of our anxiety is born out of the fact that we aren't God that we are creatures and we don't have control. And so all this stuff's going around us that we wish we could control, wish we could set up, but we can't. And so specifically this thing, anxiety being a result of being a creature on a timeline. Let me ex explain what I mean by that. Anxiety when it comes to our past, right? Let's talk about the timeline. In my past, well, there are things that perhaps the, the, the anxiety from my past are things that I, I did that can't be undone because they've happened. You know, so often I'm counseling guys or spending time with people and just like, oh, I wish I could go back and redo that. I wish I could change this. You can't. It's already happened. But that angst around what has happened and I can't change it can create anxiety. Or perhaps it's something in the past that I've done that's hidden. And if it's ever found out, and so I live with this like sort of hand grenade waiting to go off in my, in my pocket and it's at any moment it could be found out. And that also can create anxiety. Um... You know, sometimes broken relationships with people, you know, in the past. And then what if I see them at the shop and now it's like, oh, there's that person and I didn't sort things out. And so I'm hiding behind the bananas, like hoping they'll leave and hoping they didn't see me. But maybe they did see me, but they're also pretending like that stuff just creates a whole bunch of anxiety right, from my past. What if people find out what I've done? So that's how our past can create anxiety for us. This is the anxiety that comes from being a creature jammed on this timeline. Um, what about our future? How does that create anxiety for us? Well, I can be afraid of the things which might happen or might not happen. It's the inability to predict the future. And 
it's fascinating considering what the world has been going through the last little while. I think if you'd said to me six years ago, um, what's that, six years, 2018, yeah, around about then, in 2018, you'd said to me, let me tell you about the next six years. I would have been like, what? <laughs> you are out of your mind. You're off your trolley. And sometimes it can feel a little bit like when we look at our future, that it's like building uh, sandcastles on the beach. You can build it for a while, but eventually the tide comes in and washes it all out. And that can create anxiety around, I don't know what's coming. How do I plan? How do I prepare? And then we start running down all these little alleyways of trying to prepare for every eventuality. And we end up with analysis paralysis, which is not great. So that's how anxiety can um, can be birthed into our future. These are the anxieties that come from creatures being stuck on a timeline. And what about in the present? Um, we've spoken about the past and the future. Well, I find this one quite tricky sometimes. Um, I'm in a, a home full of uh, girls. It's my wife, Cindy, and my two daughters. And sometimes I just wish they would do what I tell them to do. More my girls than Cindy. I've learned my lesson. But... Um, I've got a plan for their lives. I know what's better for them. I know what they should be doing. And so often it's easy to live as a, um, as a human being where I consider myself to be the main character in the story of my life. But the thing I've come to realize is that everybody considers themselves to be a main character in their lives. And all these lives are bumping into each other all the time. And I can't control people. And maybe I try to manipulate at times, which is not good. And then it doesn't work out or works for a while, then doesn't work out. And that can create so much anxiety around I'm trying to control everything. But I can't because people are free and they're on their own agenda. So let's have a look at how did Jesus deal with this and how did Jesus speak into this. So I'm going to go to a really, really well-worn text. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment in Matthew chapter 22? He said this. And we probably can quote this because we said it at school and we probably heard it said a few times. But Matthew 22, 22 verse 37 says, Love the Lord your God, God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. And so maybe I'm oversimplifying things. But friends, I honestly believe that when I get into a tricky space in my life and, I'm, and things aren't working out, I, I generally go back to this text. It's one of the things I've always done because I feel like most issues in my life fall apart because... I've lost this connection with God. And then when it comes to people, things have fallen apart as well. And if I can get those things right, the rest of life kind of falls into place eventually. Um, and so God's, so there's a heavenward component to my life and there's an otherward component to my life. And I need to make sure that I look after those two components. And if I look after those components and live in those spaces as God wants me to, it's amazing how the rest of my life follows from there on out. Um, just with regards to people, for instance, you know, if I'm using people for my own ends, right, my life's going to fall apart. If I see relationships as feeding me, my life's going to fall. Like there's, God speaks very clearly in my, even my relationship with him. If I just see him as this, like, um, God is always angry with me. Or if I see him as this, you know, senile father Christmas, who's always just there to smile and give me a hug. When those things begin to break down, right, my behavior, my lifestyle, or what I'm what I'm working through in my life begins to fall apart from there. Anyway, over, over explanation there. Let's talk specifically about these components. So what God says, what Jesus says there, he says, there is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. There's actually three things in there. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so I need to love God as he wants me to. I need to love myself as God wants me to. And I need to love others as I love myself. It's very interesting that I often find people, when I have a very poor self-image, I can't truly love people as um, God would love them because there's always this brokenness inside of me that's either looking for something from them or whatever. That's not for today. Um, so how am I loving God? How am I loving others? How am I loving myself? And today, today I want to look at this and I, I think at some stage in the future, I want to talk about the loving, uh, how to love myself as God wants me to and love others as I love myself, as that regards to dealing with anxiety, because I think that's a, a very real, the interpersonalness of it is. So I'll probably preach that another time, or maybe I'll do a couple of devotionals on that. But today I'd like to talk about how love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. If I'd like to talk about this and how in doing this, it sets me up to not live my life with crippling anxiety or to have anxiety as my primary state and then peace, love, goodness, joy, all the great stuff. It's the little islands that I visit when I go on holiday. So let's talk about these three things. Love for God. It's talking about my heart, right? All of my heart. Surrender to God talks about loving God with all my soul. And my understanding of God talks about loving God with all of my mind. So let's have a look. Let's talk about loving God with all of my heart. Something I've come to learn over time um, is as a church, if we're going to help people, um, like a, kind of an anecdote, if we're going to help people uh, financially or with resources or something, something like that, what we tend to do is we want to give, we don't give people an ongoing, um, we don't give them ongoing help, sort of a monthly thing or a weekly thing or whatever, because Unfortunately, as human beings, what happens is the only thing we ever remember is when someone stops. So you can help someone monthly for a year. And what they will remember is the 13th month when you stop. Now, that might be a bit of a cynical way to look at it, but it's just a human way of doing things, right? As human beings, we become so reliant on things around us and we, we lose our gratefulness for the goodness around us. And we begin to take the, the goodness for granted. Um, it happens in marriages, you know, someone that we are so madly in love with when we first meet them, we can wake up and uh, just walk past and not even greet in the morning because perhaps we be distracted. We wouldn't dream of doing that when we first met. And that's unfortunately such a human thing, the human condition that we lose sight and that we go from love to passiveness, right? And um, we, I think we're like this with God. Um, and that's why Jesus says that we need to love him with all of our hearts. Um, I think when we pray and trust God and he answers us as we see fit, we're so grateful. You know, when God comes through for us, maybe over this last year, God's done some amazing stuff. Like, wow, isn't this so amazing? God is so good. Worship's that much better. I don't know the band was better this Sunday. Everyone was just, wow, it was so cool. And then everything is just peachy and shines until the next thing happens. And then all of a sudden, maybe God isn't so good. And then we begin to doubt and something begins to drift in our heart. You think about the children of Israel in the desert. I think God is so patient and I feel so sorry for Moses in those times. Um, just they, they want, everyone wants out of Egypt. They don't want to be slaves anymore. The moment they get in the desert, they go moan to Moses. How can we be here? Like you brought us out here in the desert to die. 
then God provides manna for them. And they're like, then they're like, oh, this manna sucks. You brought us out here and the food sucks. So then God sends quail so that they can have roast chicken. And, and God's constantly having to just um, be there for them and help these complaining people. But all the while, there is a pillar of fire that keeps them warm at night. And there is a pillar of cloud that shades them every day and leads them through the desert. And they look at that and they're like, so what? Um, but it's a human condition, right? That it's so easy for us to drift in our hearts, for our love to be displaced by other things or by disappointment or whatever it is. Um, on the 26th of November, I preached a sermon around Thanksgiving. And I don't like to um, go, go listen to my sermons, but I think it's really helpful if you want to look at this thing of keeping our hearts warm and on fire for God and in love with Him and the role that Thanksgiving has to play in that. In Cindy and my marriage, um, we don't live anxious in our commitment to each other. We love each other, right? And it's not, it's not the certificate that we signed that removes the anxiety of, is Cindy committed to me? It's the proximity have, we have with one another. It's the conversations we have with one another. It's the fights we have with one another, the disagreements and the working life out together. It's that proximity that breeds trust and remo removes any sense of anxiety about our commitment to one another. When I'm considering my past, present, and future, it's one thing to say that God can make a way for me. But friends, it's another thing to say that He will make a way for me because He loves me. And I know that. And friends, I've come to see that the only way I can know that God loves me is by proximity, by being with Him, by spending time with Him. And when I know that God can make a way, and I know that He wants to make a way for me, that alleviates so much anxiety from, from me. Um, I mean, talk to people often who talk about they're feeling that they're second-rate citizens of heaven. And unfortunately, the, the tragedy of that belief is that we begin to live like orphans, and we know that God's love is available to us, but we don't make the most of it. And so we can, even though we're not alone, we live like we're alone. And that's never God's intention for us. Um, Jesus came and lived as a baby. We spoke, we spoke about this a bit over Christmas. He came to show us how to live, and, and he died for us so that he could wash us clean, so that we could be absolutely free. And this is our reality every day. Um, but it tends to slip. And I think what happens is that incredible gift of God to us in Jesus, um, showing us how we can live our lives victoriously, but also just washing us clean. That is mercies in you every morning. We lose sight of that. And our love is displaced or seduced by other loves. And other things come in and shine brighter in our eyes. And that's why this... Um, loving God with all of our heart requires constant tending and uh, spending time with, with the Lord. Second Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And, and when we lean into this relationship, friends, and when I say lean in, I mean stuff like it takes time, it takes repetition, it takes returning, it takes repentance, it takes vulnerability. You know, I tend to be a kind of an extreme all-in all, all in or all nothing kind of guy. And so I go all in on like, okay, I'm going to be everything with God now. And then I feel like I drop the ball and I'm like, oh, and then I like, drift away. And I, I want to be with him all the time. And I'm looking for that consistency. And when I forget that it's, it's, it's the discipline to come back and go, Lord, I'm sorry. I love you. I want to be with you again. And work that relationship. All those things I said, time, repetition, returning vulnerability. I love what... Um, uh, Isaiah says in Isaiah 41, he says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you 
with my righteous right hand. I believe the ability to say that God loves me with absolute conviction would go a long way to to moving away a lot of anxiety in our lives and living in space. So that's the first one, loving the Lord my God with all my heart. The second one is loving the, uh, loving the Lord uh, my God with all of my soul. And this talks about surrender. Our souls have a lot to do with our will. Um, they're kind of interchangeable terms, if you like. And the reason this is so important is when I surrender to God, or the, 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 the choice to surrender to God, because it is a choice, the choice to surrender to God um, kind of reveals how I see him. I don't know if you were ever, maybe the ladies won't understand this, but us guys, when you're at school, you know the thing like if there was like a bit of a fight or whatever and you go, I'm going to call my friends. And if you've got big friends, then the other guy's like, well, okay. Even if he's bigger than you, he's going to bail on the thing because your friends are bigger than him. And I think there's a conviction around when I know that God is as glorious and as big and as powerful as he is, and I surrender to him, I lay down what I consider to be important. Because the danger is, friends, it's not just that we see the stresses and worries and things in front of us as bigger than God. I don't think that's the real issue. I think the big real issue is that we don't always believe that God's solution is better than our solution. And so we constantly dig in our own wells to try and come up with our own solution. I think we are overconvinced of our own amazingness, if you like. In the book of Jude, um, verse 8, uh, it says, in the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn Satan for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander what they do not understand, and the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. And so this text from Jude is saying that even the archangel Michael who's so powerful, right? He's a celestial being. When he's taken on Satan, doesn't go like, because Satan was a fallen angel, sort of an equal. He doesn't take Satan on in his own strength. He goes, the Lord rebuke you. And if even the angels understand that all their authority, all their strength comes from God himself, friends, I think it's a great reminder to us because it's so easy for us to dig and go, but I can do this. Like I'm strong enough. Much of our anxiety is linked to our desire to find solutions and find a way out of whatever situation we are facing. One of the tragedies I've seen over the years in the church is the lack of understanding in Christians of the necessity to live with Jesus as both Savior and Lord. You see, Jesus is my Savior. He set me free, whatever. Great. Now I can go do my own thing. No, he's also Lord. And Lordship, right, means that he's in control. It means that I no longer live, that he lives in me. He is mighty. He's more powerful than anything I will face in my life. But I have to submit to him and surrender to him. In humility, that's what loving the Lord my God with all my soul is. I'm not fighting the battle, but constantly when I'm faced by the battle, there's two things I come to terms with. One, I'm not big enough to fight that battle. And number two, that thing that's coming against me is not big enough to take on God and I hide in him. 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter writes, Humble yourselves then, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I do believe so much anxiety would be released from the people of God if we are truly surrendered to him in his ways. Instead of picking and choosing what we are obedient to and what we feel like doing or not doing, absolute surrender is not a negotiation. We sign at the bottom and we no longer live. Done and dusted. 
Friends, I don't want to be legalistic at all about what I'm talking about today and put things on us, but we have to understand that God made all things, He is above all things, and one day He will judge all things. I mentioned up front that anxiety can be the result of life on the timeline, but the most incredible thing about surrender to God is loving Him with all our soul, is that God is not bound to the timeline, right? And we can surrender to Him, and as we surrender to Him, he sorts out our past, our present, and our future. That he is the one who is in control of all things. So that's the second one. The last one is love the Lord your God with all your mind. Love him with all of our minds. And this speaks of the understanding of God. To love him with all of our minds. I mentioned in the previous point that God is above all and all powerful. But can I say this? That, And not to be judgy or point any fingers at anybody. I would suggest that that's my understanding of it. Because of, I've worked with God for a fairly long time now. And I have at times tried to be really clever. And God has brought me to my knees and shown me that I'm not as clever as I think. There's also other times where um, I really have seen God come through. And even, uh, and it's, it's really shaken me to my core where I thought if I had done things my way, what a mess it could have been. And so God has been so gracious in those situations. But friends, even today I still find myself in that place sometimes where... I can think of my own understanding. my And I can also be passive about my understanding of God. And that's what I want to talk about in this. How do I love God with all of my mind? It means that I am on this quest, if you like, to get a PhD in God. Not that I will ever understand Him completely. He's infinite. Once you've been with Him for all eternity, at the end of that time, I will know Him as little as I do now. Because there is He is infinitely faceted. He, he has no end. But... I want to devote my life to getting to know him better and look and, and get to experience him. And as I do that, it's amazing as we're talking about this thing of releasing anxiety, I begin to understand how big he is, how small I am, and it just puts everything kind of in perspective. So to love someone with all of my mind, or all of my understanding, something I learned way too late in my marriage is that I cannot understand Cindy's actions. I can't just deal with her at an action level. I have to understand what she's feeling or what she's thinking, like how she's wired. Like, so if Cindy says, "What would you like? What do you? What would you like for dinner, babe?" Like, why is she asking that question? Right? Is she tired? Is she out of ideas? Is she frustrated? Is she feeling taken for granted? Because all of those things will dictate what is a correct answer to her question, even though it's the same question, and they all lead to this different answer. And, and I feel like, friends, loving God with all of our minds is not just blindly deducing, oh, God must be like this based on circumstance. I see so many Christians do that. God did this, therefore he is like that. Or I expected God to do this, but he did that, so he's like this. He loves that person more than me. He loves this person less than me. Um, God's angry with me. We come up with all of this stuff based on circumstance instead of being based on truth. We draw deductions based on what we feel he has or hasn't done for us. I love what Moses says in Exodus chapter 33, verse 12. It says, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. And friends, I've, I've learned to often pray this line with regards to the church. 
If you are pleased with me, Lord, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. See, I, I love what Moses says here because he puts it all in perspective that this, Lord, I want to get to know you because I want to, I want to live in your favor. I, I don't want my life to be all over the car park. You've got a plan and I'm skidding in and out of your plan like this as I try and work things out for myself. But as I get to know you, as I begin to know who you are, and your ways, then all of a sudden I get to live my life in the favor of God. And what's so beautiful is at the end of that, Moses reminds God and reminds himself, probably more importantly, remember that this nation is your people. And friends, I believe that part of loving God with all of our minds is reminding ourselves that Moses was leading the children of Israel, but perhaps you're leading your family, you're leading in your marriage, you're leading in your workplace, you're leading in your life, you're leading in your social circles. Whatever space you're leading in, it no longer belongs to us. We spoke about that in the second point around surrender, loving God with all of our soul. And so loving God with all of my mind, I understand that, God, all of this belongs to you. I'm going to come to you and, and remind myself that everything I have belongs to you. My, my thoughts, my dreams, my aspirations, my, my possessions, everything belong to you. So all I have is this journey to get to know you more. I want to know who you are, that I can find favor and live close to you, live in proximity with you. So to live, love God with all of our minds looks like this. Lord, teach me your ways that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. That's, I don't know if you've ever prayed that prayer, friends, but it's such a powerful prayer. It's so different to, Lord, I pray that you help me today with my maths test or you help me today with my job interview or you help me not to get angry on the road. It's, it's very different to all of that. But Lord, teach me your ways that I may know you and continue to find favor with you, loving God with all of my mind. And then the second is, remember, Lord, this life, this family, my job, my house, all of it belong to you. Remind myself that it all belongs to him. And friends, it's amazing as we, as we meditate on that truth and as we think about that, how much freedom comes to us, um, how much life comes and how it's... Um, Sets us free from anxiety because we're putting things in their correct place. The constant reminder of who he is in our understanding will ensure that we do not put our hands on these things that cause anxiety because we cannot do anything about them. So I'd like to finish by praying for us. And I'd like to read three scriptures to us as we pray at the end of it. So I wonder if I can ask us um, just to bow our heads. Firstly, I spoke about loving the Lord God with all our heart. 1 John 4 verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Father, I pray that you would help us in our pursuit after your heart. Lord, I pray that we would know that you love us. Lord, I pray that as we spend time with you, Lord, that we know that even the love that we have for you is a gift from you. Lord, I pray it would well up in our hearts again, that we would be people who love you deeply, Lord. And we love you so deeply in Jesus' name. And secondly, around surrender, loving you, Lord God, with um, all of our will, Lord, all of our souls. 1 Peter chapter 5, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time, cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. And Lord, we come to you at the beginning of a new year, at the end of an old year, and we surrender, Lord. We lay down our lives. Pray that you would come and work in us, Lord. We lay down our lives again today. 
Lord, you are mighty. We are not mighty. You are glorious. We are not glorious. You are all in control. We are not. Lord, our futures are in your hands. We thank you for that. And Lord, pursuing you with all of our mind, loving you with all of our minds, like Moses, Lord, we echo. If you are pleased with us, Lord, teach us your ways so that we may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, Lord, that our lives, everything we have, belong to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you're asking yourself, how can I take this further? You can start by going to our website. There, you can access our previous sermons, our banking details, you can get in contact with us, or you can find out more about who we are. If you consider yourself a part of Centre Church, we just want to thank you so much for your continuous support and your partnership. Have an amazing day.